Good morning, everybody, and you made it on Time Change Sunday. Give yourselves a hand. Great job. And if you're here for the 9 o'clock service, this is 1015, all right? So uh, just to let you know, you go, wow, there's different people here. Yeah, wrong service. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's that weird time of the year when we miss out on a, an hour of sleep and we're all a little bit grumpy, a little bit on edge, but we're in church and that's a good thing. You know, some of you probably started last night changing some of the clocks in your house. I know some of you don't do that because it's all on your phone, but uh, I had one friend said that he had to change 10 clocks on, on you know, you gotta, don't forget the oven and, uh, you know, all those different weird ones that we have. Uh, but probably while you were doing that, uh, you may have asked yourself the question, who came up with this idea about changing all this stuff? You know, some people think it dates all the way back to Ben Franklin had a concept about getting up earlier. But if you want somebody to blame, you can blame this guy right here. That's George Hudson, 1895, actually put out a proposal uh, about changing the clocks to extend daylight at the end of the day. He's a New, Le New Zealand scientist. Of course, everybody thought he was crazy and they quickly dismissed his ideas. But about 12 years later, the Canadians were the first ones to try it out. Then the Germans right after them. And then of course now, here we are, 70 countries now are all a part of this thing called daylight saving time. And uh, the whole point of it is that we're trying to extend daylight. We need more light, right? And so there's some people who want to kill it. Some people want to keep it. There are all different controversies around it. In fact, we have two states in the United States that do not participate in daylight. Does anybody know what those two states are? Arizona and Hawaii. That's right. You don't get a prize. It's just a lot of fun to, to be right, okay? Uh, so, yeah, that's right. And, and so the whole point, though, again, is light, getting more light, extending light. We need light. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how we change our clocks, we still live in a dark world, don't we? A moral darkness, spiritual darkness. We live in a very dark world. You, you see it on your news feed. You see it online. You see it in the, every news broadcast, especially now. We're watching a lot of darkness in our world. And I think it really begs the question, you know, how do we find light in a dark world? And, and to answer that question, Jesus speaks directly to it. And Jesus says these words, I am the light of the world. And that's what I want us to talk about today. So I want you to get your Bible, I want you to open it up uh, to John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you right there. If you don't own a Bible, please take the one that's at your seat as our gift to you. We want everybody with an open Bible. If you're watching online, get your Bible open, uh, have a pen ready, something to write on so we can work our way through this passage as we're studying uh, Jesus. Now, this statement that we're about to read takes place later in Jesus' ministry, somewhere between six to eight months before his death. So his popularity is on a high alert, but also the opposition against Jesus becoming more and more violent, more and more intense. There are going to be several times they're going to attempt to try to kill Jesus before they finally actually do it. And so Jesus is speaking these words in the temple in Jerusalem. So let's just take a look at it. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. So this is the word of God. 
Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now stop right there for just a minute. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. What, what exactly did he mean by that? I am the light of the world. You probably heard that, especially around Christmas time. Jesus is the light of the world. But what does it actually mean? I think to really get a hold of it, you've got to look at the context in which Jesus is speaking. So if you run your finger down to verse 20, what you'll discover is that Jesus said these words in a place next to the treasury in the temple in Jerusalem. Now the treasury was located in a, in a court called the Court of Women. The temple court was kind of concentric boxes, or concentric courtyards, and one of the outer courts, the larger courts, was the court of women. It was probably the most populated area. Most people flowed in and out of there. The treasury was there where people gave their donations and offerings and so on. And so it was a very busy, packed place. Add to that, if you look at back in chapter 7, what you find is that Jesus is speaking this at a time of a great festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was an annual celebration where they just remembered how God had provided for them during the wilderness, how God had preserved them in the wilderness. And part of the Feast of Tabernacles were the reenactment of things uh, that, that happened in the wilderness. So they, many of the times, they would live in tents, and they're kind of reenacting what it was like to live in the wilderness. Uh, they had one uh, episode where they would pour water, and they would remember how God poured water out of a rock. Uh, but there was one particular one that was a huge celebration, and it was called the illumination of the temple. And what they would do is they would bring out these massive menorahs, those candelabras, Jewish candelabras. They would bring them out into the court of women, and at night, they would light them up. And the historians said that, man, this just lit up the whole courtyard, lit up the whole temple. I mean, for miles around, people could look up and see the illumination of the temple. And then the band would crank up, and people would start singing and dancing and celebrating. Men would have torches in their hands that they're waving around, pretty much like a concert uh, today. They would all be celebrating and dancing and, and uh, remembering how God had shown himself to them in the wilderness by a light at night. Remember the pillar of fire at night. And so they're celebrating this. Now, some historians say they did this every night of the celebration. Others argue only the last night of the celebration. But it was a big deal. And it was a celebrative occasion. And so with that context in mind, Jesus is there. It's now the last day my take on it is he's probably talking during the day, not during the big party. But maybe the menorahs are still behind him. Maybe the debris from the party the night before is still around in the courtyard. And people are gathered to hear him teach. And Jesus motions to these giant menorahs. And he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. So what do we learn from that? What, 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 that, that is a heavy statement. That is a, a rich, full statement. And it has a lot of meaning to it. So what I want to give to you today very quickly are the four things we learn about Jesus from this statement. Okay, so if you're taking notes, jot these things. Four things we learn about Jesus from his statement, I am the light of the world. Okay, here's the first thing we learn, that Jesus is more than just a man. He's more than just a man. He said, I am the light of 
the world. That is a statement of divinity. That is Jesus' claim to be God. In the Jewish mind, you cannot separate God from light. And to say, I am the light of the world. He didn't say, I am a light. I am one of many lights. He said, I am the light of the world. And and just as God showed up in light in the wilderness, I am now the personified in, in physical form light of the world. To say that is a statement of deity. It's to say that I am God in the flesh. And you say, well, Craig, how do you know that? I mean, how do you, how do you get that out of just the word the, all right? The definite article the, how do you get that? Well, the reason why, the reason why I get it is because there is all the way through scripture, a link between God and light. Think about the very first words God ever uttered that is recorded in the Bible in the Torah, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty, and and darkness covered the depths, right? And the Spirit of God hovered over, hovered over it all. And what are the first recorded words of God in the Torah? Let there be what? Light. God is the light. The very first thing that the Jewish boy or girl learns is that God is light. So it is very clearly a connection between God and light. And you see this over and over and over throughout the Bible in, in Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my uh, salvation. Psalm 44.3, his face is light. And Psalm 119.105, his word is light. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our, our path. In fact, uh, when Ezekiel had this vision of God, he said he saw him as a cloud of light. In fact, Isaiah, and then again we read about it in Revelation, says that one day when the earth is remade, we're not even going to have or need a sun or moon because the Lord himself will be our light. That's why in 1 John 5, we read these words, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. So it's very clear from a Jewish concept when he said, I am the light, that was a claim of deity, but it was more than that. It was also claimed to be the Messiah, the chosen one, the one they've been waiting for. Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he wrote extensively. In fact, one of the largest books or largest portions of Scripture in the Old Testament are written by Isaiah. And he speaks probably more than anybody about the coming Messiah, all these prophecies about the Messiah. What is he going to be like? When is he going to come? And one of the things Isaiah said about the Messiah is when he comes, he will come as a light. In fact, he says this in Isaiah 9, verse 2. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. He's talking about the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come as a light. Well, how is he going to come as a light? Well, he tells us in verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. You probably heard that at Christmas time, right? We read that just about every Christmas, but it's a reminder that the Messiah comes into a dark world as a light. And so when here is Jesus and he says, I am the light of the world, everyone clearly knew what he was saying. He came as God in the flesh, the Messiah. I'm the light you've been longing for. I'm the light you've been looking for all these years. The light has now come. Jesus is no, he's not just a man. He's more than just a man. He's God himself. 
Second thing we learn about Jesus is that Jesus is for everyone. Look at what he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Jesus didn't come for just a group. He came for the globe. He didn't just come only to the Jewish people, but he came for all people. In fact, earlier Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only son. By the way, for a, a bunch of us that are, most of us are non-Jewish, we're really happy about that, aren't we? That he came for the world. That the gospel isn't just limited only to the Jewish people, but it's for all people. In fact, uh, in saying I am the light of the world, he's saying I'm for the Jew and the Gentile. I'm for the poor and the rich. I'm for the, the weak and the strong. I'm for uh, the religious and the irreligious. I'm for the East and the West. The gospel has no boundaries. The gospel is not just for any one group of people. In fact, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he gave a command to his followers and he said, make disciples of all nations. That word nation there is the word that we get ethnos, where we get the word ethnic group from. Every ethnic group, every people group, every language, every culture, every tribe, every tongue, every person deserves the gospel, deserves to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. And that's what Jesus called all of us to do. That's what the church is here for. By the way, that's what you're here for. That'd be a great spot for an amen. Uh, maybe let's try that one more time. All right, let's rework. Let's go back. Uh, that's what you're here for. And, and then we take that very seriously around here. Uh, if you're uh, just visiting First Colleyville, you, you know, we, we're like, we take this seriously. We think that this is actually what Jesus commanded us to do. It's not aspirational. It's something he, he expects us to do. And so we, we're going to great lengths to make disciples who make disciples among the nations. That's what Jesus called us to do. In fact, we had, just a couple weeks ago, we had a group come back from Madrid where we planted a church in Madrid and they're growing and moving into a new facility uh, because of their growth in Madrid. I just got a phone call from our church plant in Israel uh, and they said, man, we got into a new facility because we're growing and God's opened up doors for us to have this. In fact, he went to approach the lady that ran this facility about them meeting there and she leaned over to him and looked around so nobody could see and she said, I love Jesus. And he said, I do too. And so that's where they're meeting. How cool is that? God just opening up doors. On May the 1st, our church plant in New York City will, will officially have their first worship service. And so God is, why do we do that? Why are we planting churches right here in the DFW area to reach unreached people groups that will not walk into a church like ours? Why, why are we doing that? Because Jesus is the light of the world. He's, a, he's the only light of the world. Without him, there is no light. And so we, we share the gospel of Jesus, the light of the gospel to every nation until he comes, amen? So we learn that Jesus is for everyone. Here's the third thing, Jesus delivers us from darkness. We learn that Jesus, that Jesus alone, delivers us from darkness. Look at verse 12. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. Now this is our real problem. Jesus really puts his finger on the problem that you and I live in darkness. There cannot be any greater contrast than light and darkness, right? And Jesus said, the human condition is that we are in darkness. Think about darkness for a minute. What does darkness do? Well, one thing darkness does is it conceals. You can't see anything when it's in the dark. That's why everybody does their bad stuff in the dark, right? Because nobody can see it. It conceals what you're doing. And that's what spiritual darkness is like. We don't see our sin the way God does it. We don't see ourselves the way God sees us. 
we've lost perspective. If you're working outside in the bright light and then you step right into a pitch black room, I mean, it's so dark, right? The dark is so profound. And yet, if you stay in the darkness long enough, then your eyes begin to adjust. And then you kind of get used to the darkness. And the darkness isn't as dark anymore. And that's what happens when we live in a dark world. The great danger is that we will become our eyes will adjust, our lives will begin to adjust to the darkness around us. And we're no longer shocked anymore at that. We're no longer offended anymore at that. We're no longer surprised or shocked anymore at that because we've just become adjusted to the darkness. Darkness conceals. Darkness also confuses. When you're in the dark, you don't know where you're going. You could be going around in circles. You could be running into furniture. You could be stepping on Legos. You don't know what's going on, right? Because you're in the dark. You can't see. And listen, we live in a time of great confusion in our world. You understand this, right? I mean, we're confused about some of the basic things of life. And the things that are good are now called bad. And the things that are bad are now celebrated as good. The things that uh, should be championed and celebrated um, are, are opposed Everything is upside down. Right is wrong, wrong is right. That's life in the darkness. Darkness brings confusion. And then ultimately, darkness brings terror. When you live in that confusion long enough, you're afraid. When you were a kid, you might have had a little nightlight. Some of y'all had a little Batman nightlight, a little Cinderella nightlight. Okay, truth is, some of y'all still have a nightlight. I'm not gonna tell anybody, all right? We just keep the light on in the living room, you know? Keep the TV on. We don't like it because we're afraid, right? But that's what darkness does. Hey, let me ask you something. Has anybody experienced any fear over the last two years? Yeah, afraid of everything. I mean, you're afraid of what to say. You're afraid of what to post. You're afraid of, of your, losing your job. You're afraid of, of being sick. You're afraid of what's happening overseas. You're, afraid of, you're just afraid of a lot. I mean, we live in a time of great fear, pervasive fear. Welcome to the darkness, life in the darkness. And ultimately, darkness kills. You can't put a plant in a closet and expect it to live. You can't have animals in total darkness and expect them to live. You can't live, have humans live in total darkness. We're not created that way. We need light. And darkness, ultimately, spiritual darkness kills. We're separated from God forever in spiritual darkness. And so listen, darkness is destructive, but this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to deliver us from the dark. We're in this dark world. There is no light. And Christ came as a light to deliver us from this kind of darkness. He said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And by the way, that's really good news. That you don't have to walk in darkness. That you can actually have light uh, to live by. In fact, the Bible goes on to say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, that whoever comes of faith in Jesus, they, listen to this language, they are, they are rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his son. How cool is that? Every time a person comes of faith in Jesus, there's this transfer that happens from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. And Jesus said, that's what I came to do. That's who I am. I came to deliver those in darkness and to bring light, the light of the gospel. Last thing that we learn about Jesus is that Jesus offers a new life. He offers a new life. Look at verse 12. He said, those who, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have 
the light of life. It's really simple, actually. The exchange that Jesus makes is, you give me your darkness, I'll give you my life. I'll give you a new life. I'll, I'll wash clean your old life, and you can start over. That's the, that's the offer of Jesus. I will give you the light of life. If, if darkness conceals, Jesus brings clarity. If the darkness confuses, Jesus brings clearly what is right and what is wrong and what is good and clearly defines it for us so we're not confused. If the darkness brings terror, Jesus brings joy and peace. If the darkness brings death, Jesus brings life. I remember years ago, I was preaching in Nicaragua in a, in a very remote area. And the missionary that I was with said, we're going into the jungle to preach tonight. And I said, all right, I'm with you. So uh, we jumped in, the, in this little bitty uh, Toyota pickup, you know, the little ones. I was in the back, the bed of the truck and, and off we were in there. And then as we go along the road, he would stop and people would hop in the back and we'd drive a little longer. More people would hop in the back, we'd drive a little longer, more people would hop in the back. And I mean, by the end of, by the time we got to where we were, we were literally shoulder to shoulder in the back. And as we're driving into the jungle, it's getting darker and darker and darker. Now, there are no street lights out there. It is just pitch black. We finally came to a stop and I didn't see anything other than just jungle around me we got out of the truck and walked a little ways and we came up to this I guess best thing I know to call it is like a little pavilion it had a roof on it and some little poles holding that up and a wire that hung down through the, the top and it was a and a light bulb was hanging on the end of it and he walked up and turned the light bulb twice and the light bulb came on and that was the only light to illuminate this little area with rudimentary benches and I turned to the missionary and said, I, didn't, I don't see anybody out here. He said, just wait, they'll come. When they see the light, they'll come. And sure enough, about 10 minutes, people just started coming out of the shadows. Just people from all different directions coming out of the jungle. And they all sat down on these benches. And he said a few words and he said, now, Craig, you preach the gospel. And I'll never forget being in that little hut and preaching the gospel under that one single light. And people gave their life to Christ that night. And as we got in the truck and went back, I remembered this profound thought that, you know what? That's what we are. That's what we're like. We're in darkness. And the only light that gives light is Jesus. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world. So much in it. I'm God in the flesh. I am for all people. You live in darkness, but I am the light and I will give you life. I'll give you a new life if you'll come to me. And you would think, you know, with people hearing that, they would be excited about that. That more and more people would just be attracted to Jesus, attracted to the light. But did you know that there are some people that are attracted to the light and there are other people that are offended by the light? Did you know that? You know this, if you've ever tried to wake up a teenager, right? Anybody ever try to wake, it's almost impossible to do. 
You know, you may be one of those really kind parents that when you wake them up, you go in the room and you kind of turn on the light in the bathroom and you put on some music and you rub their back. You say, baby, it's time to get up and, you know, maybe talk to them and come back and forth for about 10, 15, 30 minutes and, and, and trying to get them to wake up. Uh, some parents just kind of cut to the chase and resort to brutal tactics, like just flipping on the light. Get up, right? And, and is the response, thank you for the light. No, no, it's like, ah, you know, it's, it's horrible. Turn it off, turn it off. Why, why? Because they're offended by the light. And that's how some people were with Jesus. Jesus was like, I am the light of the world. And other people, yes, I'm in darkness. I need Christ. And there are others that are like, no, get him away. And, and that's exactly what happened. Immediately after Jesus said these words, I am the light of the world, I want you to see the reaction. The visceral reaction. Look at, look at verse 13. So the Pharisee said to him, you are testifying about yourself and your testimony is not valid. Wow, that's an awkward moment. Jesus is preaching, I'm the lie of the world. And one guy stands up and goes, that's wrong. That's a lie. That's not true. I mean, if somebody did that this morning, right? That would be a little awkward, right? You'd go, we had a weird thing at church today. Man, security drug this guy out. It was crazy, you know. But that's what's happening here. He, he said, you're, you're, you're saying this about yourself, and that's not true. They, he was offended by Jesus, the light. And look at, look at how Jesus responds to that. Look at verse 14. He said, even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true. Because, here's why it's true. Because I know where I came from and where I'm going but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards or superficial standards. I judge no one, and if I do judge, my judgments are true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they said, you know, you're, you're lying. He goes, I'm not lying. Let me tell you something. Here's your problem, Jesus is saying to them. Problem is, you, you think you've got this all figured out with your own human wisdom. I know this and I know that and I got this all figured out and that's not true and, and I already, already know what, what reality is and I know who God is and I got this all figured out and, and I don't need you, Jesus, and, and, and you're gonna have to prove it to me first kind of attitude. I'm so smart. So intellectual. Uh, I don't believe this faith stuff. It's so beneath me. And, and I, I've got it all figured out in my mind as to how it is. He goes, you know what? You, you, you think you're so smart because you reason with human wisdom. You don't know where I've been. You don't know where I'm going. And you don't know who the Father is. You just don't know. I mean, he could have pointed to every scripture that pointed to the Messiah's coming. He could have pointed to fulfilled prophecy. He could have pointed to, pointed to all the miracles of the healing of the blind and the lame, uh, raising the dead, walking on the water, casting out demons. He could have done all that. Certainly, he was about to prove it ultimately in his resurrection, his own resurrection from the dead. But he said, you know, the problem is you've already made up your mind. You've already hardened your heart. And there's some people like that today. Maybe you're here. I mean, the truth of the matter is you may be hearing all this about Jesus like, yeah, right, whatever, prove it. Prove it to me. You've already made up your mind. You've already hardened your heart. You're not going to believe that stuff because you're very smart. You're very intellectual. You've got it all figured out. And Jesus said, you want two witnesses? 
The law calls two witnesses. I am a witness. My authority allows me to be a witness and my father is a witness. And he's already declared who I am and what I'm come to do. And, and look at how they respond to him. Wow, I mean, just, you can feel the, the hatred toward him. Look at verse 19. And they asked him, where is your father? Where's your father? Where's your father? By the way, this is a slap. It's not a question. Already earlier in chapter seven, later on, I think in chapter nine, they're, they're going to accuse him of having an illegitimate birth. You know, the whole uh, virgin birth was even, even the life of Jesus was kind of a rumor that, well, whatever, she said it was an angel, you know, or that God got her pregnant. We know it was probably out of wedlock. And so they're, they're, just, they're just trying to embarrass him, right? Who's your daddy? You don't have a daddy. We all know that. And look at how Jesus responds to that. You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. That's, it's like he's saying, you know what? You guys think you've got it all together. You're the ones that are supposed to know God. You haven't got a clue. You don't know who I am. You don't know he is. You just don't know. You just harden your heart and you will not see it. In Hyde Park in London years ago, there was a gathering of people to hear the gospel. It was an outdoor open air meeting. Preacher got up and he preached the gospel and many people's hearts were turning to the Lord. When he stepped down off the platform, a man in the crowd commandeered the platform and began to shout out these words. He said, they say there's a God, but I don't see it. They say there's a heaven, but I don't see it. They say there's a hell, but I don't see it. They say there's a Jesus, but I don't see it. Finally, he was escorted off the platform. The crowd just stood there silent. Then another man stood up on the platform. He grabbed the podium with both hands and he said, they say there's a sky above me, but I don't see it. They say there are trees around me, but I don't see it. They say there's a crowd in front of me, but I don't see it. I don't see it because I'm blind. When, when somebody says, you know, I just don't see it. It's because they're blind. Blind to who Jesus is. Blind to the reality of the truth of the gospel. One of the scariest verses in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of the gospel of Christ. If you say, well, I don't see it, that really tells me more about you than it does about Jesus. So here's Jesus. He's saying, I'm the light of the world. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Put away your, your faulty thinking and see who I am. You may say, well, Craig, what do I do if I'm struggling to see it? Let me just give you, close off with this verse. Our time is done. John 12, listen to these words really carefully. Jesus said, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, Believe in the light 
so that you may become children of the light. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. What was he saying? He's saying, you know what? You only have a few opportunities to respond to the gospel. While you have that opportunity, while, while the light of the gospel is being shared to you, while, while you have the ability to come to Jesus, while you have the ability to turn to Jesus, step into the light that you have. You say, well, I don't have it all figured out. Welcome to the crowd. Nobody has it all figured out. In fact, we're not gonna have it all figured out until we get to heaven. And probably even then we won't have it all figured out. But step into the light that you do have to know that Jesus came as God in the flesh, to know that he came for you, to know that he went to a cross to deliver you from darkness and he provided all that is needed for you to be saved. Step into that light. And the more you walk in that light, the more God will reveal to you truth. But he said, if you believe in the light, while you can, you will become a child of the light. That's why Jesus came. That's why he said, I am the light of the world. Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a minute. You may be here today and as I've been speaking, the Spirit of God's been convicting your heart because you've been that person that's resisted the gospel and been that person that really has kind of had kind of that arms crossed attitude of prove it to me. And you realize that, you know, Jesus came and revealed his truth, the truth to you. Now you're responsible to respond to it. And maybe for the first time, the light has come on in your own heart and mind. And you realize you're in darkness. You realize that you need Christ. You realize that right where you're seated, that God's speaking to you. And this is your opportunity. And Jesus said, while you have this opportunity, and while you have this moment, believe in him. Come to him in simple faith. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know all the answers, but to come to him in simple faith and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead and I know I need you and I'm in darkness. Forgive me, change me. If that's your desire, I wanna lead you in a prayer just like that. So if you're here in this room today and you want me to lead you in a prayer like that, just lift up your hand. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I won't call you out, but I'll see your hand and I'll just pray for you right where you're seated. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, thank you. There's several. Anybody else, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. I need to stop pushing him away. I need Christ right now. Just lift up your hand and I'll just lead you in a prayer right where you are. All right, thank you, thank you. Maybe you're watching online. God's moving in your heart right now. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. So if you lifted your hand, just, just bow your head with me now. Just pray with me. Dear Lord, just pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. And I'm in darkness. But I believe you are the light of the world. I believe you died on a cross I believe you rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. I choose to trust you. 
and I choose to follow you right now. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Father, I thank you for your word today. It's just always so relevant, so current to us. Lord, I thank you for those of us in this room that have been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. We have every reason to worship and to celebrate and to thank you. Lord, help us to be children of light this week, to be a mirror that reflects your light to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. Lord, help us to be quick to share the hope that we have in Jesus, who is the light of the world. We love you, Lord. We long for your coming. Even so, Lord, come quickly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.